Welcome to We55. We're your hosts. I'm Sudaya Francisco. And I'm Brielle Blackshear. This is a Princeton Alumni Corps podcast from 12 Stockton. And Princeton Alumni Corps is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to mobilize people, networks, and organizations for the public good. Hey, fellows. So welcome back. It's going to be just me today. Brielle is out, but she will be back for our next episode. And this week, we're going to be focusing on mental health. And our operations manager, Kimmy Carlos, is here to chat with us. So I will let her introduce herself. Hi, Soraya. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be joining We55 today. I have been watching this since its inception. So this is really thrilling. Um, I am the operations manager here at Princeton Alumni Corps, uh, so I basically handle all of the facilities, human resources, bookkeeping, event planning. Um, I support the board and I support the executive director. But in addition to that, I'm also the founder and executive director of a nonprofit in Trenton, New Jersey, by the name of Urban Mental Health Alliance. Um, that is my passion work. We are an all-volunteer nonprofit that focuses on mental health and wellness, mental illness, and addiction recovery, specifically in urban centers. And we look at the intersection between mental health, mental illness, and social justice. Um, and so I love doing that work. I'm also a public speaker, anti-racism certified trainer. Um, so I do a lot of work around um, self-empowerment, resiliency, healing, and wellness, um, a lot of work around self-care, self-awareness, self-advocacy. Um, so this is my bag. This is stuff that I love. I'm excited to be here to talk about mental health today. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And that's why we invited you. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I figured we would just dive right in and kind of talk about the social perceptions and the stigma that's around mental health. Absolutely. That's um mental health is a fascinating dynamic, right? Usually when I teach workshops um, in and around the city, I always open with the question, give me the definition of mental health. And you hear things like crazy, depressed, um, violent, crackhead. You know, you hear all these horrible names. And that's just indicative of the fact that people aren't largely even aware of mental health unless there's a mental illness or a mental health crisis, right? Which is interesting because... You know, if I said, tell me about your heart, people wouldn't automatically say heart attack, stroke, heart disease, right, cardiac arrest. People wouldn't typically say that. Um, what most people don't realize is that everybody has mental health, right? It comes from your brain, and it's basically your makeup, your characteristics, right? It's the seed of everything that you do and everything that you are, Um so you have mental health the same way you have heart health, the same way you have healthy lungs, the same way you have healthy skin, right? Mental health comes from um, the most valuable organ that you have, which is your brain. And just like anything else can malfunction, you know, your brain can malfunction, and then you might be dealing with a mental health crisis or a mental health disorder. Um, so mental health is, is really, really important for all of us. A lot of the work that I do is around teaching mental health and wellness and teaching us how to be proactive with our mental health and how to be advocacies for ourselves and our loved ones when there's a mental health crisis. So the same way we're very proactive with like our physical health, same way we're proactive around our finances, proactive around managing our cars or managing our homes or managing our relationships. 
we want to make sure we're managing our our mental health as well because our mental health literally is is the makeup of our entire being yeah yeah and um and i do agree i think there is such a stigma and it's not just societal but there's like cultural stigmas there's religious stigmas there's a lot right. that influences why someone might seek out mental health versus not seeking it out right there's a lot of um as Soraya said cultural but also historical mm-hmm socioeconomic, um, social, um, psychological, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, why people engage or don't engage with mental health. Um, it, it also has to, to do with a lot around religion and faith, right? There's a lot of fear there as well. I think a lot of the fear stems from behaviors, because we, for the most part, as human beings, believe that we have control over our own behaviors, right? Um, we believe we have control over our, our own health in general. And so anybody who might be um, different or odd or ill or disabled in any way, um, it's often viewed as more of a, um, uh, a character defect, right, mm-hmm. or um, or a lack of accountability, as opposed to it really being viewed as a mental health and wellness issue, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stigma comes from that. And then you also have, you know, like um, a lot of faith and spirituality and, and religious um, barriers around mental health, right? A lot of faiths believe that, you know, if you're dealing with mental health challenges, that maybe your faith isn't strong enough or you haven't followed the guidelines are the tenets of the faith, right? Um, there's socioeconomic problems, right? A lot of people are very fearful because there's already so many stigmas in impoverished communities and marginalized communities that people don't want to add mental illness or a mental disorder on top of that. And because there's not a lot of understanding around the difference between mental health and mental illness, people don't want to address it at all. Um, and then there's a lot of cultural and historical issues as well. There are communities of color, namely black and brown communities, have, who have been so oppressed and so marginalized and so brutalized, quite frankly, in a lot of ways that they don't trust, they, we, don't trust um, um, health infrastructures, don't trust mm-hmm. systems, don't trust certain authorities, um, and really have this um, um, self-preservation mode so there is no conversation around this. So there's a lot of reasons why mental health has so many dimensions to it and why there's so many dynamics um, that go into whether or not people are willing to address it and engage in it. And a a lot of the work that I do as a mental health advocate and a mental health facilitator is really around working to uh, dismantle a lot of that stigma, dismantle a lot of the fears, normalize the conversation, and then empower people with the information that they need to be able to advocate around mental health um, there's a, um, a conversation that's, that has always stuck with me. It was with a pastor, and this was maybe about 12 years ago, and I was just becoming you know, a, a real strong advocate around mental health because of my own lived experience with depression, anxiety, and, um, and active alcoholism. Um, and so I was just in, I was in early recovery from alcoholism and I was just really becoming an advocate around mental health and wellness. And I remember talking to a pastor and telling him how frustrating it was because, you know, there's not a lot of information out there around how you manage your own mental health, especially 
in marginalized communities, in black and brown communities, right? And he said to me, that's because a lot of people aren't doing the work. And if you want to make change, you're going to have to do the work. And, and I remember being very stunned because I thought, you know, who am I that I could do the work, right? Um, and that's when he said something that has always stuck with me. He said, there was a time when we never talked about cancer. Nobody ever said the word cancer out loud. People would whisper the word, you know, quietly to each other. And, and if someone did have cancer, you know, they would literally go through treatments and die before other people even knew that they had it because it was such a stigma around talking about it, right? And now everybody talks about cancer. We talk about breast cancer. We talk about prostate cancer, right? Everybody talks about cancer, pancreatic cancer, right? People... Um, have really normalized that conversation. And every October you see pink ribbons everywhere about breast cancer, right? So that, that conversation is now coming out of pulpits and churches. You hear about it in corporate America. You hear about it in nonprofits. You know, you hear it in social circles. We have really normalized the conversation around cancer and cancer treatment and cancer recovery. And that's phenomenal. And he said to me, that's what has to be done with mental health and mental illness. And it's not going to get done unless people like you make that happen. And that has always stuck with me. I think that we can get there when it comes to talking about mental health and mental illness. We can normalize these conversations and, and um, teach people how to become comfortable, you know, talking about what mental health looks like what self-care looks like, what wellness looks like, as well as, you know, what disorders and illness looks like, right? Um, if we had a bad tooth, you go to the dentist. You don't just pretend that the tooth isn't there, right? So if you're, if you're dealing with depression, then you, you go to a therapist. Or you can even start with your primary doctor and say, look, these are the symptoms that I've been feeling and, and something's not right, right? Um, and so that's, that's, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so, so passionate about it, because there is a lot of stigma and there's a lot of dimensions to that stigma. Um, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's really meeting people where they are, understanding what those fears are, and then giving people the knowledge to empower them and the tools and resources, you know, to advocate. I was about to say, you just shared a whole lot and there's <laughs> plenty that I want to touch on. Um, but first, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing about your own experiences. Uh, I think it's really important that we do normalize these conversations. I think that's part of dismantling that stigma is, again, normalizing this culture of taking care of our mental health. Um, but the stuff that you touched upon also, one, around not just stigmas, but justified historical distrust in a lot of communities, um, specifically Black communities and Brown communities, and even, like, communities of disabled folks and queer folks, there's there's distrust of institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, barriers to even mental health right now, when you right. think of healthcare access and what's actually covered and what's right. not and what's affordable, because therapy in itself can be a really expensive um, venture in, in taking care of your mental health. Um, but I also really enjoyed you discussing kind of the, how we perceive physical health versus our mental health mm -hmm. um, in terms of the fact that as if they're not linked. Exactly. Right? Exactly. What most people, um, including myself, before I started really doing this work, don't understand is that you really can't separate mental health from physical health, right? All of it is, is health. All of it is wellness. And there's a real link between mental illness and physical illness. 
for example, most people don't realize that, you know, in addition to psychological symptoms of depression and anxiety, there are also physical symptoms of depression and anxiety, right? Um, and a lot of times people don't recognize that, uh, let's say, you know, one of the scariest terms is psychosis, right? And you can actually deal with psychosis and schizophrenia or disassociative disorder, which are the two that people often think about. But you can also deal with psychosis with, you know, um, active drug use. You can deal with it with active alcoholism. You can deal with it with um, chronic depression. And you can also deal with it in mania in bipolar and so people don't realize that that is literally a physical symptom, right? Psychosis is a physical symptom that comes from the brain. And so you really can't separate the two. Um, but because mental health affects our behaviors, the way we move and breathe and engage with the world, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we maintain relationships, um, then people view that as something separate than our physical health. And so there's a lot of fear around that, right? And then we are a culture, we being America, we are a culture where we're taught to just pull yourself up from by your bootstraps and just keep going, right? Don't be vulnerable. Don't get down. Don't be weak. Don't ask for anything, right? Mm -hmm. We really, really are a culture of individualism. Um, we don't have a lot of collaborative accountability. And so a lot of times there's shame in even asking for help because we feel like people will view us as less than, right? Um, as opposed to viewing it as an illness if there becomes a disorder. And there's a whole host of reasons why a person might have a mental illness, right? It's not necessarily a lack of character or that the person is lacking privilege, or, you know, that the person has, has getting their just due, or, you know, it's, it's none of that, right? It could be as simple as postpartum depression, right? Or a mother has given birth to a child and is extremely overwhelmed physically, overwhelmed financially, sleep deprived, and falls into postpartum depression, right? It could be as simple as somebody suffered a major trauma, um, and that trauma threw them into post-traumatic stress disorder, a large part of that being chronic depression to the point where the person literally cannot get out of bed or literally has reoccurring flashbacks to this traumatic event, right? Or it could be somebody has a really debilitating disease, um, you know, epilepsy or lupus, right? Which could cause, absolutely cause depression, absolutely cause social anxiety disorder, right? And then you also have things like, you know, genetics. So some people are much more prone to addiction than others. Some people are much more prone to depression than others. Bipolar has a high hereditary rate. So, you know, you didn't just draw a straw and, okay, now you've got bipolar. It could very well be that it is indeed genetic, right? So there's a whole host of reasons why somebody might physically have a mental illness, but we kind of separate that out as a different, you know, category when it really is a part of a person's overall wellness, um, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, which is a part of the National Institute of Mental Health, um, .gov, has um, this really incredible theory called the Eight Dimensions of Wellness. And it really talks about the wellness of the whole being and how any one of those eight categories um, could necessarily, could um, easily become um, 
an adverse factor in a person's life, right? And it really helps to affirm how the mental health is a part of your overall wellness, you know, um, in general. And I actually have a workshop that actually teaches around um, mental health and wellness and self-advocacy. And it talks a lot about how mental health really shouldn't be separated from your overall health. As you're managing your wellness in general, mental health should be a part of that as opposed to I'll deal with that, you know, if I have a problem, right? Like it's with our cars. We make sure that, you know, every three months, six months, we're taking them in. We're getting, you know, the tires rotating. We're checking on the brakes. We're making sure the oil's changed, the transmission fluid. We don't wait until the engine light comes on, Right. And if we do happen to have an engine light come on, we deal with that immediately. We don't just pretend that that doesn't happen. Well, it's the same thing with our mental health. That needs to be a part of our overall wellness. And then when that, if and when that check engine light does come on, like you start experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety, you address that immediately and without shame because that's part of your overall wellness, right? If you're running a race and you slip and fall and you break your leg, you're going to address that immediately and there's not going to be any shame right? Well, if you've had some other event in your life that has caused depression, you want to address that as well because it's part of your overall makeup. It's part of your overall being, right? So yes, there's a lot of um, reasons, you know, cultural and social reasons why there's such stigma, but, you know, a lot of the work that I do is to help remove that and and normalize these conversations. Yeah, that stigma feeds off shame. So much. And this idea of like, if you break your leg and you allow yourself to heal, there's no shame around that. But why is it that if you're seeking out mental health, there's this, this shame. And I think also the fact that it doesn't allow for like the diversity of just bodies and and abilities. And when we talk about ableism and how mental health in that conversation is still, still not as present, I think it's really important to consider even in the workplace, right? When you, like, we talk about mental health days, but who Absolutely. actually is, Says feels like they can take a mental health day right. and um, has the PTO to take that mental health day. Right. Um, Just the fact that we have personal time off is a really big deal because I'm old enough to remember when the workforce was divided up into vacation time and sick time, Mm -hmm. and personal time, right? And so if you got sick and you used up your seven days of sick time, well, then now you're cutting into your vacation time, right? And so we would lie because, you know, I was a single parent for a lot of years. And some days I was just exhausted from working full time and trying to, you know, take care of these children. But how shamed and embarrassed would I be, you know, back then we didn't just send emails. We had to pick up the phone and call. So I would have to physically pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I'm taking a sick day. And, and, you know, the questions were very intrusive. Why? What's wrong with you? You know, and I would never, ever say I'm exhausted. I need a mental health day or I'm stressed. I need a mental health day. So I would lie. I had a stomach ache or, you know, whatever, because it was so much shame around that. So having, personal time off now where there's really no questions, you're entitled to 15 days of personal time off and you get to use them however you want to use them. And if you want to use that as a mental health day, you absolutely have a right to use that because it's your personal time. So I think that is huge. And I'm hoping that all of working America begins to move in that direction because yes, your person, your, your mental health is just as important as the rest of your health, right? Like if I called and said, 
you know what, Soraya, I can't come in today because I have a really bad toothache. You know, most folks would not even bat an eye. But if I called and said, Soraya, you know what, I've really been stressed and I need some time to just stay home and process and get some things together mentally. Oftentimes that's that's frowned on. Right. Mm -hmm. So PTO is a big way of starting to like normalize people's overall wellness and using that time as you see fit, because by the time you get to the workforce, hopefully you're a functioning adult who can make your own decisions and manage your own time. And you should be able to use that mental health day, you know, as, as you see fit and as it's appropriate, because most, if not all organizations want healthy, functioning, productive employees, right? And that means your whole health, all of your wellness, right? Yeah, I think that we can segue kind of into what you're discussing, this kind of being proactive about our mental health and how we can self-advocate around our mental health. And I think it's important when you touched upon trauma that we talk about these events that can happen and, you know, processing grief and other things. and. Right substance abuse, stuff like that, but also just like when we're dealing with microaggressions at work and all of these different things, right. how marginalized folks have, can have toxic stress right? and how that plays into mental health, if you're comfortable like talking about that mm-hmm. um, and how to kind of self-advocate for that. Absolutely. Um, so I do a lot of training around um, self-care and self-advocacy and self-care means different things to different people, right? So... And a lot of my work is with marginalized communities. So black and brown communities, impoverished communities, LGBTQ communities, immigrant communities, right? And a lot of times um, self-care is much more involved and much more detailed in those communities than it is in other communities. And so there's a few um, major things that I teach people. The first thing is that the strongest advocate is an educated advocate, right? So I teach people how important it is to have knowledge and how incredibly fortunate we are to be living in the world today where we literally have knowledge at our fingertips, right? There was a time when knowledge was for the elite, for the wealthy, for for the privileged. But now we all have smartphones, we all have laptops, we have libraries, you know, we have schools that all have access to information, you know, electronically. So there's ways that we can educate ourselves around mental health, around physical health, around privilege around, um, you know, access around resources. Right. And so the best way to be an advocate is to be educated in the things that you need to advocate for. So if we're talking about mental health, the best way to be an advocate for yourself and your loved ones is to become educated around what mental health means. That does not mean that you have to go back to school and become a clinician. Right. You do not have to do that. But there's a lot of programs workshops, seminars that you could take to learn around mental health. One of them I mentioned earlier was the National Alliance of Mental Health or the SAMHSA.gov website. There's a whole host of organizations that teach around mental health, right? And the more information you know about mental health, the more of an advocate you can be for yourself because knowledge is empowering, right? And that really is more than a cliche. Knowledge is absolutely power, right? That's the first thing. The second thing I teach people is as you become knowledgeable in what you need to advocate for. So again, if we're talking about mental health, let's say you're struggling with depression, right? So you want to be an advocate for your own depression. You want to learn what depression is. You want to learn how to manage that depression. And then once you become an advocate with that knowledge, the next thing I tell people is that we have to learn how to set boundaries, especially marginalized communities, right? We have to learn 
to set boundaries around what we will accept, what we will not accept, what is for our benefit and what's not for our benefit. And most marginalized communities have not been taught that. We have not been taught that we have a right to set boundaries, right? So I teach people that setting boundaries is not only a good thing, but it is part of our mental health, right? Because that's how you protect your overall wellness, right? And then the third thing I teach people is that it's okay to bring your voice to the table. Because again, marginalized communities have not been taught to do that. So it's okay to bring your voice to the table and share the knowledge that you have around advocating for yourself. And you do that with your healthcare providers. You do that with your employer. You do that with family and friends. You do that where you have influence, right? Is bring your voice to the table. That's how you become an advocate. But that's also how you create safe spaces, right? Or, or sometimes people refer to it as brave spaces, right? And I'm one that firmly believes that we can create those spaces. A lot of times we think that people have to create them for us and welcome us into them, but we can create those safe spaces ourselves. So as an example, any healthcare provider that I work with, I immediately let them know that I'm a person in recovery. I've been in recovery from alcoholism almost 17 years, right? And every year for me, my challenge is to get to that next year of recovery, right? So when I hit that 17-year mark in November, then immediately the next day after I celebrate 17 years of recovery, I'm already looking towards 18 years of recovery, right? That's part of my self-care is knowing that I go to bed every night saying, I spent another day sober, right? So in order to do that, I make sure that any healthcare provider that I work with automatically knows I'm a person in recovery. And so I'm going to engage with you as your client, as a person in recovery, which means we're going to talk a lot about what I need to do to make sure that I'm healthy and any medications that you're going to give me, I have to be really careful about making sure that they're not addictive, right? That's me bringing my voice to the table and that's me advocating for myself without shame, without fear, without stigma, right? And, and I have to learn how to be that advocate for myself because there's a lot of stigma around me being a recovering alcoholic, right? And I have to be educated enough to be brave enough to build that space. And that's me creating that safe space slash brave space with my healthcare providers as opposed to expecting them to give me that safe space. I'm building it, right? And there have been times where I've had to walk away from providers because they weren't coming to the table with me and making sure that the safe space I'm building between the two of us is really there. They're not up upholding their end of the bargain, right? So that's me setting boundaries saying, I'm not going to engage with a healthcare provider th that isn't seeing the whole me, right? Because as a conversation I had with Soraya earlier, I'm a woman, I'm black, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a recovering alcoholic, right? So you have to look at the whole concept, the whole package, right? And engage with me that way. And it's up to me to build that safe space and set those boundaries so that you do do that. So the three things that I teach people, like I said, are education, you know, educate yourself as much as possible, create your boundaries and bring your voice to the table. Those are the top three things I teach when I teach self-care, um, I teach self-care, you know, in a lot of arenas. So with college students, you know, with youth um, and with other marginalized communities, with social activists. Right. Anybody that I teach, those are the three major areas that I teach in around self-care. And then I always tease people and tell people I go and get my nails done every two weeks. 
that for me is not self-care. That's maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) Self-care for me is making sure that I have my whole wellness, right? Wow. So I think that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I think that's been really helpful for fellows to consider when they're bringing like their whole selves into the workplace and just how to, again, that personal and professional growth and how to take care of their mental health. Um, So fellows, I just want to let you know that if you have any comments, questions for Kimmy, you're more than welcome to drop us a line on our anchor platform or send us a message. Um, Thank you so much, Kimmy, for your time. It has been wonderful. And I just, it's been a great pleasure to work with you and hear about all the amazing work that you do as well. Thank you so much. I'm just delighted to be a part of the podcast. I'm so excited all the work that you and Brielle are doing around We55. Thank you so much, fellows. So fellows, uh, again, if there are any other resources that you would like to seek out, especially around mental health, I know Kimmy had named a few. We also have them in our fellows resource hub and actually a really cool book that talks about the physical effects of mental health and around trauma is The Body Keeps the Score. I do not remember the author, but it is also listed in the resource hub. And again, remember, like, take care of yourselves. And that also means your mental health. And until next time, fellows, happy Friday. Bye.